Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. Right, good morning. How are we today? The left side of the room literally didn't say anything. How are we today, left side? Right side? Both sides? Not bad, not bad. Second service, y'all are awake. You had your caffeine, uh, the Christian drug of choice. Uh, Pastor James and Cody are still on vacation. You may be thinking, wow, that's a long vacation. Um, The church sent them on vacation because they've been doing ministry for 18 years and needed a long vacation. And so they did not tell me to say this, but do not text them. Do not call them. Don't email them. Don't tell them you're praying for them. Just pray for them. And that's it. Leave them alone. And so instead, you get the student pastor who is fired up today uh, to share the word. And so I'm excited to be here. Uh, We've been in the book of Matthew. Everyone say Matthew. Not everyone said that, but we're in the book of Matthew, and uh, I've actually, uh, the Holy Spirit last week called an audible and said, hey, don't do the book of Matthew next week unless you're made to. So we're not talking about the book of Matthew, but we'll pick that back up next weekend. Um, Speaking of 4th of July, just kind of uh, a quick story as we get into this message and a very cheesy pun is that this message could blow up because it's not part of our uh, originally scheduled series but my brother and I, his name is Seth, uh, he is 14 months younger, way bigger, not as attractive, uh, but way stronger, and so I'll never tell him that. Um, but when we were younger, we shared the same bedroom. How many of y'all had the same bedroom with a sibling growing up? It, it, it uh, challenges uh, your Christianity, uh, your, your belief in anything that's holy. And so there's times we fought, and uh, one of the times we were fighting, I was playing uh, PlayStation or whatever we had at the time. We only had one. We had two controllers, but I did not want him to play or something like that. And so he uh, went down the hall. Look, this was not around 4th of July. These, these fireworks that he grabbed were ancient. They were old. And uh, he went and grabbed a handful of bottle rockets and like zip-tied them together, came back in the room and said, if you don't let me play, I'm going to light these and throw them at you. And I'm like, sweet Lord, like this dude is crazy. And he was bigger and stronger, so I kind of had to believe him. But he's sitting there, and I didn't know at the time, but his intention was to not light them but he accidentally lit them in our bedroom on our white carpet. And so he's sitting there holding them, yelling, ah, You're like yelling about these bottle rockets. He drops them right next to me and they pew across our carpet. And then they all start blowing up in our bedroom. And like, I'm freaking out, still playing PlayStation, but I'm freaking out, he's yelling. And then we realize we have to hide this. Like there's no way we could tell our parents this happened. And so he opened up all the windows. We got fans and blew the smell, like that sweet fireworks smell. We blew it out the windows, covered up the uh, white carpet where there was a very clear, distinct black mark across our carpet, covered it up with a rug or something, and my parents did not know about it until we moved out of that house a few years later, removing everything. They're like, what's this? I'm like, this dude over here, Seth. So that was uh, his BC age. That was before Christ. He is now our campus pastor at our Fayetteville campus, and I'm thankful that my brother found Jesus. How many of y'all have a sibling? You're thankful the Lord's grace like came in their life. That's him. He's a follower of Jesus now. Um, transitioning, I'm, I'm learning in my life that just because you're following Jesus does not mean your faith is where it's supposed to be at. It's not where your faith it needs to be. So just because you're a Christ follower does not mean that you don't need to grow in your faith. So that's kind of our topic for the day. The past 12 months of my life have looked a lot like that, growing in my faith 
trusting in God. And maybe you're like me as a Christian or as a believer, and I've wrestled with this since I was a teenager. Is it okay to have faith and to doubt? Like, what do I do as a believer when I have faith in God, but I doubt what I see? Or I doubt that it's going to work out the way that I want it. So that's our, our topic today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 and Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, you can mark those two spots. If you don't have your Bible with you, we will pray for you at the end of service. Um, let's pick this up. It'll be right here on the screens. Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So our, our student interns are learning and trying to memorize this verse that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's very important that we know what faith is because without it, we can't please God. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let's pray one more time. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth in it, that it is our standard. As I communicate your word, Lord, pray that you would use me in my weakness uh, to speak to individuals, to speak specifically to situations. You know every detail of every person in this room. So speak, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So if faith is what pleases God, what do we do when we have doubt? Doubt is to call in to question the truth or to lack confidence in something. Let me tell you who I lack confidence in. Anyone in this room who enjoys deep sea fishing or roller coasters. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you like deep sea fishing and roller coasters, I lack confidence in your decision-making process. For me and the rest of the Christians in the room, we get sick. So I can't even ride a merry-go-round without literally getting nauseous. The thing is about me is I literally almost can't throw up. I've thrown up twice in 15 years. So when I get sick, I'm just sick and it just sits with me. It's terrible. And so it's not like I, I choose to get sick on a roller coaster or that one time in my life I went deep sea fishing and I'll never go again. Not like I chose to get sick, but it was the most miserable time of my entire life. How many of y'all have been seasick out in the middle of an ocean and you questioned the existence of anything that was good. I mean, that was me. I took four Dramamine, knocked myself out, and slept for like the last four hours. It was terrible. So if you enjoy those things, I lack confidence in you, and I'm just going to say that uh, from the stage. So when it comes to doubt, when it comes to lack of confidence, there's a difference between having a thought of doubt and engaging with doubt. As a human, we're going to have thoughts of doubt, but the enemy's plan for every Christian's life is to turn your doubt into denial, is to move you from one to the other. And so what that looks like for me in the past 12 months is like, I know what God has said. I know the promise of the Lord. I know what he has told me. But the enemy will whisper, like Genesis chapter three, did God really say that? Is that like really what he meant? And then it moves from doubt to denial. God never said that. That was bad Taco Bell talking to you, or that was Papa John's. He wants to move you from doubt to denial. So today I want to address this. If, if, our faith is what pleases God. What do we do when we have doubt? I've titled today's message, Here I Am. Turn to your best looking neighbor and say, Here I am. And turn to your other neighbor that you just offended and say, Hey, you look good too. Genesis 22, verse 1 says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac and go to the, the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there 
if you're new to church, this is a very complex scripture, very crazy. This is not how the whole Bible looks. Go sacrifice your son as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So I encourage you this week, just in your own personal devotion time, look up the significance of Moriah. Why is that so important? We could spend half an hour on that. We don't have time. We gotta keep going. Well, look that up in your own personal time. The word tested right here in verse one in the Hebrew, it actually means tested. God will test you. He won't tempt you. But a lot of us, probably all of us know that God will test us in one area of our life or another. Matthew Henry, not the wrestler, but the Bible commentator back in the 1600s, he said it this way. Every trial tends to show the dispositions of our heart whether holy or unholy. The way that I would say this is what you're going through has a way of showing what's in you. What you're going through has a way of pulling whatever's on the inside of you, good or bad, out of you. In verse three, part A, it says, early the next morning, everyone say early. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. So you have Abraham here. The Lord said, hey, to Go and sacrifice your son. That's day one. That same night, he starts getting things ready. And then that next morning, it says, early he got up and he went. The pace of your faith matters. The pace of your faith matters. If faith is what pleases God, when we delay, that is a sign of doubt. Almost every time, delay is doubt. And so as a Christian, Look, I've been in this place many times and you may have too, but it is a travesty when we doubt quicker than we believe. That we have a situation in our life and we're quicker to doubt that anything good is gonna come out of it than we are to believe that God is good. So number one, the point is act in faith for the future. Act in faith for the future. So this is not in the text, this is how I read the text and how I just interpret myself being in Abraham's shoes. And so you have that night and he's getting ready. I assume that everybody is asleep because if everyone's not asleep, Abraham's gonna get questions like, Abraham, what are you doing? Where are you going? Hey, that's a sharp knife, man. What's that for? You know, like Abraham can't tell people what's going on. That's a nice knife. Even if I had the faith to respond like Abraham did, y'all, I would be a mess typing these notes out the past week. Like I was crying typing some of this because sacrificing a child out of faith. This isn't some fable that didn't happen. This is a true story. And it emotionally like wrecked me. And I can imagine being in his shoes. I would be crying. There would be snot everywhere. Be tripping over things because we didn't have electricity at the time. You know, Abraham is back in the day. I would be a mess. What I've learned is that when you're a mess, when you're crying, some tears have more weight than just water. Some tears have memories and dreams attached to them, relationships and goals. So maybe you tried for that promotion, you worked your butt off for 10 years and someone else got it. Maybe you've been praying and praying and praying for that person to be well, to be healed and it didn't happen. Maybe you've been praying for that relationship to be restored or to not end in the first place and it didn't look like the way that you wanted it to look. Those tears have more weight than just water. And I imagine that Abraham is probably in this spot. He is in this place. What I'm learning in this season of my life is that the limit of your pain tolerance can be the lid to your potential growth. So the pain that you're willing to walk through in a holy way could be how much that God is going to grow you. 
when you lift weights, I'll say when you lift weights because I don't, but when in general humans lift weights, raise your hand if you lift weights. Just kidding. We saw you walking in, your arms. We saw you. I'm just, <laughs> don't beat me up. Um, but there's a saying in the weightlifting industry, just in that, that, that uh, atmosphere, I guess, no pain, no pain. And so what they're implying is that when I lift weights, it is painful. My muscles are tearing, but as time goes on, they rebuild even stronger and they get bigger. I have a saying, no pain, no pain. Like if you have no pain, you have no pain, baby. Faith is a spiritual muscle that sometimes painfully has to be exercised in order to grow. And maybe all the time has to be exercised, a little bit of pain in order for it to grow. Abraham waited 100 years for Isaac to be born. He's born, and then God is saying, hey, go sacrifice your son. The pain of having faith to go do that. But Abraham had a promise. He had a word that the covenant that Abraham would be a father of many nations was gonna be fulfilled through Isaac. So he knew what the end was going to look like, but he didn't know how that was gonna happen. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What I want to say about this is it is not unlike God to remove every source of comfort that you have in your life to see if you'll stand on his word. Relationships, finances, whatever it may be. It's not unlike him to get us uncomfortable to see if we'll stand on his word. But in that time, we have to protect ourselves against external and internal voices against the enemy, against culture, against our own mind and our own doubt. And I think this is one of the reasons that Abraham got up early. Yes, he had immediate faith, but two, and y'all know this, man, the longer that you wait to move in faith, the louder those voices in your head get. The louder the enemy's whispers, the more clear they become. In 3b, it says, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. So God's not only asking him to sacrifice his son, but he has to go chop some wood. He says he set out for the place. Everyone say place. He set out for the place that God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. So God told Abraham to go to a specific place. But what Abraham did not know was in this specific place, there was a specific provision. God was gonna show up specifically in this place. You have Zacchaeus in the New Testament. He says that Jesus got to a spot where Zacchaeus was in a tree. Zacchaeus got to have dinner with Jesus, gave his life to the Lord. You have blind Bartimaeus that he was in a spot by the side of the road and he was healed of his blindness. Even David in the Old Testament was in place when Samuel came. He wasn't in the home where all the other brothers were. He was in place in the field doing his job. So they knew where to find him to anoint him the next king. Even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense, As believers, we need to get into place or get back into place because that type of faith pleases God. In verse five, it says, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Just a little quick aside. I love how Abraham rode the only donkey in this story and made the other three guys walk. That's my kind of guy. I do a dad tax with my kids. Anyone else do that with your kids? Like a dad tax, just... Some of y'all are like, hey, what's that? So when I cook them dinner, they don't want like the premium whatever I'm cooking over here. They want chicken nuggets and french fries, right? And so I'm not cooking fries for myself, but fries almost always look good. And so I'll take a few of the fries and I'll literally will say out loud, dad tax. 
And they get all upset, you know, like, ah, you're taking my fries. Abraham took it to the next level in this story and takes the only donkey. So I love that. But my kids are like, dad, you took my food. You're so mean that, you know, it, it was mine. And I just always tell them, nothing in this house is yours. And then growing up, my mom would say, I brought you into this world. Which gets us ironically back in our story about Abraham. Um, number two, it says, the point is to worship in the present. Worship in the present. Verse six, Abraham took the, wor- or he took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood, they're here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Sometimes kids ask the dumbest questions. This is not one of those times. This is a legitimate question. Hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? Because Isaac was old enough to carry the wood, he was old enough to realize something was missing. Something's missing here. Because he was old enough to carry the wood, he was also old enough to rebel. Scholars say he was a late teenager, maybe in his early 20s. Abraham's 120. But Isaac... He didn't rebel. And I think this is why Abraham carried the knife and the fire, just to make sure that, Abraham, or that Isaac did what he was, was being told. But I love in this story, there's not one written verbal or physical dispute from Isaac to his father. There's not one source of tension. He just asked a question, hey, dad, where's the lamb? Question to parents is, what are you teaching your kids? I ask that because I'm convinced that in private, Abraham taught Isaac or Isaac caught how to be obedient, how to have faith, how to worship. So when this thing came to the public, he, he already knew what to do. I'll do what dad says, I trust him. Did it make sense? Heck no. But as a parent in private, outside of church, outside of your pastor, what are you teaching your kids at home about faith, about obedience, about worship that can be seen in public? As we see in the text, Abraham said, we will worship. But there were no instruments, there was no band, there was no singing, there was no lights, there was no fog machine. Worship is the posture of our heart being put into practice. Now that looks different for everybody in every situation, but worship is you putting what is on the inside of you into practice and obedience to God. Abraham said, we will worship, we will come back. In a way he's saying, God, I trust you. I have questions. You're wanting me to sacrifice my son. I don't understand this. This looks kind of crazy, but I will worship. As a believer, man, having questions to God is great to an extent. I tell our high school students all the time, God's not scared of your questions. He's not intimidated by your questions or your emotions. But please hear me. We cannot only worship and obey when it makes sense, when we have the answers. God is more worthy than that. When we only worship or obey when it makes sense, when it's comfortable, we're actually bringing God down to a common level and saying, hey, because I don't understand it, I'm not gonna worship you. But making God common is dangerous because a common God cannot bless you. He cannot cover you. He cannot protect you. He can't provide for you. And so he asks us to worship even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it doesn't make sense, worship as you wait. 
view it as a waiting room. You're out in the waiting room. The surgeon's back there working. Whatever you've been praying for, whatever season you're in, he's back there working. You're waiting. Why would you leave the waiting room before the operation is over? The surgeon's gonna come out and have good news. Romans 8, 28, he does all things for good. For those who love him are called according to his purpose. Being in the waiting room is a time to worship so he can grow and align you to receive the fullness of what you've been praying for. Then number three is to recall your past. Everyone say recall. So Martin Luther, another Bible scholar, not Martin Luther King Jr., uh, says the strength of your faith is based on the credibility of the character of the person you put it in. The strength of your faith is, your faith is based on the credibility of the character of the person you put it in. So a couple of examples. Some of you have a friend that is always late. Hey, Rob. Um, and so some of you have a friend that's always late. How many of you are that friend that is always late everywhere you go? We're gonna pray for you after church. We're, we're, we're glad you're here. We're gonna pray. But when that friend says, hey, I'm gonna be there at eight o'clock, I know, you know, that's 8.30. When that friend says, hey, I'm on my way, I know they're still at their house or they're still at their previous stop. And that's okay. Based on your track record, I know what you mean. Or maybe you're going to a cookout or a hangout or you're watching a Razorback game and there's a friend or two that you know cooks well. I'm going for their food first. I'm not going for that sketchy potato salad off to the side or that weird looking casserole the cat lady made. I'm not, I'm, I'm not eating that. I'm going for what I know is good based on the track record of who cooked the meal. The strength of your faith is based on the credibility of the character of the person you put it in. Isaac said, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. We don't get the emotional state of Abraham explicitly written in the text, but we could guess as a parent what Abraham is going through. We don't get what Isaac is feeling, but we know what Isaac is going through. Dad, what is this? What are you doing? I just had this prevailing thought that in this family, that doubt had been crushed for at least a generation or two. Because even though it didn't make sense and it looked crazy, Abraham nor Isaac were asking questions on what's gonna happen next. They just obeyed in faith at the word of the Lord, even though nothing made sense. Whenever the Lord asks you to do something and it doesn't make sense, doesn't make common sense, doesn't make any sense, he's trying to show you something. He's trying to teach you something about himself or about you or about someone else. And I just, I see in this story, the systemic oppression of doubt had been crushed in this family. Abraham is building an altar to kill his son. Some of you, I don't know what it is, but some of you are gonna have to build something right now, even though it looks crazy. I believe to an extent, the reason why God told Abraham to go to a place where no one else was, because people would have talked him out of it. People would have said, no, you can't do that. We don't do that. People try to talk Noah out of his boat. Someone in this room, you need to build something crazy that God tells you to, even though it doesn't make sense right now. It says he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
This is a polarizing thought, but grief is better than guilt. And I say that in the context of Abraham was obeying God. At least Abraham can say, I'm not guilty, God. I did what you said. It doesn't make sense. I just lost my son. I'm grieving, but I'm not guilty. And for some of you in the room, I don't know, again, what the situation is, but you did what God said. You're not guilty. You're grieving, but that's okay. It's more holy and righteous to grieve after God's told you to do something, to rebel and disobey and to be guilty. Grieving is not easy. But in this context, it is better than guilt. It says, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven in verse 11, and I'm gonna get into close. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Here I am. It's the same thing that Abraham said to God in verse one, when he said, Abraham, he said, here I am, Lord. Abraham had no idea what was about to be asked or said. He just said, here I am. Here we are several verses later. The situation has changed. Obedience, the same. Response, the same. Here I am. In chapter 12, it's the first time that God spoke to Abraham. He said, hey, I want you to leave your family. Go to this land I'm gonna tell you about. Go to this place. And here we are 10 chapters later in Genesis 22. God said, leave your people, take your son Isaac, but leave everyone else and go to this place I'm gonna show you and sacrifice your son. They sound very similar. I believe Abraham realized the parallel here. And I think he thought to himself, I saw God move in the past. I know God's gonna move in the future too. I've seen his faithfulness in the past. And so I know not what he's gonna do in the future, but I know how he's going to be in the future. And it's gonna be faithful and it's gonna be good. What God did in your past was done to shape your confidence in him now. Reflecting intentionally on your past reminds you now of what God is capable of in the future. Our past is like an eyewitness on trial who has seen firsthand the faithfulness of God. Your past has seen God's faithfulness, but the enemy would love for you to plead the fifth. The world and culture would love for everything to cloud your faith and to cloud your memory on that specific time where God showed up and he was faithful. But look, on, for me, at least for me, what I can say is that I've seen God show up in my past and so I know without a doubt he's gonna show up again. And I'll keep saying it every time, but I know what I see, but I know who I know. And my God is faithful. It might not look like the way I want it, but he is true to his word and he is sovereign and I can trust in that. Abraham said, here I am. Verse 12, keys if you could come out. It says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went out, he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is still said on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. In our story, this altar where Abraham and Isaac is, or are, in one sense, this altar is a place of worship and obedience and sacrifice and surrender. But in another sense, it's a place of remembrance. In the Old Testament, they would build these altars all over the place to remember 
that God showed up in that moment. He showed up in that season. He showed up in that situation or in that story. And they would build these altars in case they walk by in the future, they would be reminded of God's faithfulness in the past. And I can just imagine the little kids walking by with their family saying, hey, dad, what's that for? Hey, mom, that altar over there, what was that? Noah, after the flood, he built an altar. Abraham, he built three. Isaac, after finding water, walking through the desert, being thirsty, built an altar. Jacob built two. Moses, he built one after crossing the Red Sea, after they defeated the Amalekites. Joshua, when they got in the promised land, they built an altar as places of remembrance of God's faithfulness. Where or what in your life can you go back to to recall God's faithfulness? For me, it's Google Drive, <laughs> Google Docs. I have a doc, answered prayers, 2017, 2018, 2019, 20, 21, 22. And when I'm in a rough season or having a rough day, I just go back to that doc. Hopefully that inspires someone. I'm not paid by Google. But maybe there's something in your life. There's a, a person, the situation you can reflect back on. You can go back to and say, yeah, God was faithful there. And he was faithful there. We couldn't pay the bill there, but it happened. We know how this was gonna work, but God showed up. At this altar, in this moment where Abraham is in Genesis 22, God didn't promise Abraham anything. He didn't tell Abraham it was gonna look like he wanted it to or that Isaac would or would not die. Abraham was just acting in response to God's character from the past. He knew who God was. Abraham had to trust that God knew what was best, that God was in control, and that it was all gonna work for good one way or the other. Abraham's expectations were, I'm going to sacrifice my son. And it was in that moment that he held a knife in his hand to slay Isaac, the provision showed up. Just like the ram in the thicket, what if what you've been waiting on came unannounced and looked a little different than you thought it was gonna look? Would that be okay with you? What if your preference was actually a hindrance to God's provision? Like what you wanted it to look like, God saying, look, I'm not gonna do it that way. Lower or change your expectations. It's gonna look a lot like this. There's a song I've been listening to and some of the lyrics in that song says, wouldn't it be like you, referring to God, wouldn't it be like you to be different than we thought, different than we want, but better? The same thicket Abraham walked through is the same place the blessing came from. What if what you're walking through is the same thing that God is wanting to use to bless you? But please hear me, they weren't just looking for a blessing, they were obeying, but they didn't just get blessed, it was generation after generation after generation. What if that season, that circumstance, that thing that you're walking through is not only gonna bless you, it's gonna bless the next generation. It's gonna break a curse in Jesus' name. It's gonna break that cycle of sin that Brooke was talking, that Brooke was, was mentioning. What if what you're walking through is the exact place that God's going to use to bless you? God developed Abraham's faith in the wilderness, away from people, in a dry place. Sometimes when we doubt or have doubt, it's because we're in a dry place. And I don't think the Lord's upset with that. It's what do we do with this doubt? What do we do in the dry place? Look, not every dry place, not every desert is from the devil. 
Sometimes God will lead you to a dry place just like he did Jesus so he could develop what he has on the inside of you. What if what you're going through was to produce something that could not come out of you any other way, but to go through the wilderness, to go through a dry season? But it's in those dry times. I'm in one right now. It's in that moment, it's in that season, it's in that year where the enemy whispers over and over and over these lies. I know y'all hear them too, but I just wanna encourage you. Whatever the enemy has been whispering to you about, you should be shouting about because he is incapable of telling the truth. And so when he says you're not worthy, it's actually the opposite. When he says you're not good enough, say, well, Jesus paid for me, I think that was enough. When there's a spirit of condemnation, God does not give condemnation, but a peace, love, and a sound mind. He doesn't give fear. When the enemy is whispering, it's not gonna work out the way you want it to, I say, I don't care, I trust God. It might not look like you want it to in this season, but God is faithful. He is good. Whatever it's gonna look like, I trust it. So take a personal possession of God's promise in faith, even though it doesn't make sense, even though you're not gonna see how it's gonna play out step by step. In faith, I know my promise. And not a devil in hell can take away my hallelujah. I know what God has said. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, they all said these three words, here I am. Here I am. And then Jesus, even when he's in the garden, he doesn't say these words, but he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. The heroes of our faith said, here I am. Even though it didn't make sense, it was painful. They didn't know how it was gonna work out. Well, besides Jesus, cause he's God. They said, here I am. Dear Christian, what do you say? What do you say? You say, God, here I am, or it doesn't make sense. I'm gonna back out of church for a little bit. I'm gonna stop going to life group. I'm gonna stop praying. I'm not gonna worship. I'm not gonna raise my hands. Or do you just say, God, here I am. I don't have all the answers. But dang it, I know you. The three questions I want you to write down or put in your phone. You can even use your phone and take a picture. They're gonna be on the screen. But I want you, I'm giving you to do these questions in your private time this week. Some of y'all are like, I don't have private time. Great, start. Here's three questions. When you're in that season, when you're in surrender, when you're in faith, you can ask God, what are you wanting to show me? Question number two is, how are you wanting to grow me? And number three is, what do you want me to learn in this season? These are the types of questions we should be asking God, not, not, hey God, when's the answer gonna come? Hey God, can you make this less painful? God, what are you trying to do in me? Yeah, God, I'm praying for this person that I love, but what are you doing in me? Act in faith for the future. Worship right now and recall God's faithfulness in the past. Let's pray together this morning. God, you are the faithful one. You're the only one that's true, the only one that's just, the only one that's worthy. 
And God, what you say happens. When you put things into motion, they can't be stopped. So we thank you for that. I understand there are many, many Christians in this room. There might be some of you here today and you're just in that season that we've been talking about today. And it's been difficult, you have questions, there's doubt. You don't know what's coming next, but you have faith. But you want more faith. I wanna pray for you today. So if that's you, you say, God, I trust you, but I doubt you a little bit. I doubt what this is gonna look like. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I wanna increase my faith in you today. Could you raise your hand so I can pray for you? It's all across this room, ton of hands. I got you, Lord sees you. God, you know every detail, every situation, every circumstance. You're not intimidated. You're not in some far corner of a universe sitting idle. You are moving. You are active. You are good. So Holy Spirit, we say increase our faith. Help us as we make a conscious choice to keep growing. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't have the answers, we say, God, we trust you. And maybe you're here and you would call yourself a Christian. You know that Jesus has saved you from your sin, but you would be honest and say, man, he's not Lord. He's not calling the shots in my life. He hasn't for a while. You know that your eternity is sealed, but you know that he's not been the one calling the shots in your life. Or maybe you're here and you've never made that decision before your entire life to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to admit that you need a Savior, that you need someone to save you from your sin. If you're in either one of those two camps and you would just say, I wanna make Jesus my Lord and my Savior right now, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I wanna pray for you. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Please don't put it down until I see you. I wanna see who I'm praying with. I got you, thank you, sir. I see you, got you. I see you, I see you. I got you, thank you. We're not gonna rush this moment. This is why we came. I see you, thank you. Don't let your pride get in the way in this moment. This is the Lord speaking to you. You feel him moving. You don't have to raise your hand, but the word says in Romans 10, nine, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so you need to pray something like this as you believe it in your heart right now. You could say something like this after me. God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I know that I've messed up. I know that I've fallen short of your standard. So I thank you for saving me from my sin. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for a relationship with you. Thank you for eternal life in heaven. Help me to live every day by the power of your spirit, to walk in step with you in your guidance and in your leading. Help me be like you in the sanctification process as I grow to look like you, Jesus. Jesus, we truly love you. You're not just a placebo to help us feel good or to make us get through life. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. 
And so we come to you today and surrender and worship and obedience and say, you are Lord, you are God. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.